welcome to New Zealand Vegan Podcast. I um, haven't done my Te Reo Māori greetings probably, so I'll do that again here now. Um, a kia ora is an informal greeting in the indigenous language of New Zealand. This is NZ Vegan Podcast. Welcome. It's episode 134. And unfortunately, my computer has decided that since the last upgrade, it's no longer going to accept the USB headphone microphone that I've been using since I started doing my podcast without any problems. My computer is now rejecting it. Um, I haven't changed anything except done the latest upgrade to El Capitan. So I'm furious with Mac and I don't know what they're going to do about it. Nothing probably. Um... So I have to use this other microphone, which sounds even worse than the last. I'm sorry about the sound quality. Ever since I stopped using Pro Tools, the sound quality of my podcast, I hate it. I really hate the way my voice sounds on this garage band. But this is what we're stuck with. This is the only thing I've got. And I'm, yeah, very sorry. Anyway, I'm doing a podcast today about my street stall. Uh, we had a street stall today, and um, it's it was a slow day. There was tons of people around, but we didn't get a lot of people approaching, which meant I ate three cupcakes myself because at the end of the day, I just really wanted some. Um, but usually, we have much. We give away all our cupcakes. Uh, we did have some really good conversations that were very, very positive and we met someone that we met at the store last time and we saw her walking down the street right after we'd finished and packed up and she told us that she'd gone vegan. So that was really nice. Um, What I just, I mean, I just want to share about the stall um, for other people who are listening um, who want to do street stalling. One of the things I want to talk about today is how we meet so many vegans now. Well, anyway, we meet a lot of people who say they're vegan. That didn't used to happen. As I've said, it's happening more and more and more and more. There are more people going vegan. Vegan advocacy works, people. A lot of young people. But what I'd like to remind abolitionist educators is remember that, you know, veganism is out there. It's getting distorted. It's getting twisted. This is this this is what happens. Abolition is getting distorted. Abolition's getting twisted. But the default paradigm of a lot of vegans still, unless they were lucky enough to to be educated in a vegan abolition way, um, is welfareism. Um, so that's that's the only thing. And I know that I've I've been involved in. You know, situations where when when I have spoken to somebody and I've talked to them about abolition and then let's say they go vegan and they go to some potluck and there's like 50 other vegans there and they talk about abolition or Gary Francione and then all 50 people just sort of completely gang up on them and be like, no, that's rubbish and baby steps and you have to support us and you can't be divisive and, you know, we can tell, and, they, and they're very, very convincing in their collective unity, right? That's what they have going for them is this 
they're a lot. They're a big, and we are social creatures who are sort of influenced by the um, dominant group mentality. So I've been doing a psychology course online because I'm trying to get. I was trying to see if I could get into university. I don't think it's going to happen. Do a master's degree, but it was part of the requirements was some psychology background. It's very troubling the things that I'm watching. Psychology is used for a lot of evil things, but it's very interesting. They've done experiments where they have shown people a um, an image of three vertical lines. One of which they've shown they've shown people an image of a vertical line and then three other vertical lines one of which is the same size and the other two which are clearly not the same size visually, the same length. And the experiment is a trick. So you have about five people who you bring in and four of them are ringers. Four of those people are in on the experiment and only one person is not in on it. And the experimenter asks the five people, which of these three lines is the same length as the first line? And all four of those other people pick lines that are not the same length and they pick the same line that's not the same length and so the third so the fifth person who can clearly see the one that's the same length has three cho has two choices they can either pick the one that everybody else has picked even though they know it's wrong or they can pick the right one and stand out and some sort of astonishing percentage of people picked the line that the other people picked and when asked after the experiment was over there were two responses one of the responses was I started to doubt myself I really if all these other people sitting there looking at the same thing and they were the same as me they'd been called into this experiment if they're saying that you know the first line was um, the same length and I picked the third line I mean I just doubted myself I doubted my own eyes and the second reason was well, I knew that um, I, I, had, I was right and they were wrong, but I just wanted to go along with everybody else. So when you look at that, that's very troubling. So we live in a welfare-dominated world, and we talk to these people about veganism for the very, very, very first time. Some of them, we get to have a really in-depth discussion about welfare reform and the detriment of welfare reform and, and the moral personhood and why welfare reform reinforces speciesism and all that stuff. But sometimes you just talk about, you know, animal rights and their rights not to be um, used and go vegan, go vegan. And then they go away and then they decide to go vegan and they go out and then they get swallowed up by the welfareists because that's really what there is in terms of social groups because they're looking for social support. They're looking for um, vegan potlucks or anything else and it's all welfareist. You know, the entire vegan community, not entire, the vast majority of the vegan community is dominated by new welfareist vegans who have, you know, and that's that's what's really hard for us abolitionists is we're really working against the tide. I mean, we are emptying the ocean with a teaspoon here, but it can be done. And if you really get a good chance to really talk to people about it, that's really good. So, so what I'm trying to, the point I'm trying to get is despite the fact that the abolitionist movement is, as far as I'm concerned, the catalyst for all of the new vegan vegan awareness and new vegans in the world is because people have been promoting veganism, not because of the welfareist movement who did nothing but, you know, sideline it, undermine it, or omit it, and who still try to do that. But then they're still swallowed up, even if they are exposed to veganism in the first instance by an abolitionist page, because the situation, there's so many things to learn about. Like, I remember my own situation. I first went vegan 
through abolitionist education, but they couldn't teach me everything on the first day. You know, I had to really go through and listen to a lot of Gary Francione's interviews and quit with all these questions. I had to listen to the debate with Eric Marcus, which is two hours long. And there's a reason why it's two hours long. One of the reasons is because Eric Marcus just will not engage with the things that Gary Francione, he just repeats himself. But another reason is there was a lot to cover. So I was still, you know, confused. It took me a while. Um, I When I first came back to New Zealand, um, I had only... I hadn't read any of Gary Francione's books at that point. I had listened to the debate with Eric Marcus, but there hadn't been a lot of stuff about single-issue campaigns. I hadn't been talked to a lot at that point about single-issue campaigns. So I did not know, because I didn't figure any of this stuff out on my own. I um, I didn't come up with any of it. I learned, I looked at all the theory that was out there, all the welfareist theory and the actions, and, the, and I was convinced by the abolitionist argument. But it's like, if I was to become a doctor and I learned everything that I learned from other doctors, it doesn't mean that I'm not thinking for myself or that I'm a cult member. It means that I didn't come up with it. I had to be taught. And that was the same for me. That's my experience with veganism. I had to be taught. I had to be educated and definitely with abolition. So I came back to New Zealand and I remember I was trying desperately to reach out to other vegans and desperately to be involved in the animal movement here, thinking that I could bring abolition here and that I could convince everybody overnight to go abolitionist, which I learned was not going to happen. It took me a while to figure that one out. But I still hadn't known much about single-issue campaigns. So I remember I wrote to some group who were chaining themselves to the doors of fur shops or had this campaign. There, there was all the only action I could see when I was out on the internet as a new vegan who was really dedicated. And even though I knew I didn't want to do welfare at all, the only other thing was single-issue campaigns. That was all there was. So as a new vegan who wanted to be active, that was my choice. Um, I even wrote to them and said, I really want to, you know, meet and get involved with your group or whatever the case may be. And I even tried to go to Safe Stuff, but I went there with the express um, purpose of convincing them about abolition. It backfired very badly, but um, I tried. But yeah, so I, you know, and then it ended up, and then I started to learn about single issue campaigns because I was all this time trying to read all the theory. That's why we go on and on and on and on about educating yourself. You know, it's a quagmire out there. And our speciesism is so ingrained. And when you're a new vegan and you see every single other vegan doing something like a single-issue campaign against fur or whatever the case may be, who are you to really, you know, you have to be a Gary Francione. And he's actually quite unique, <laughs> right? So thank goodness for <laughs> Gary Francione. And you take a lot of heat for it as well, as he can tell you. But so... That, that was my experience. So what I try to do when I meet vegans at the stall, and I'm guilty of not, I mean, what I want to tell people when you're at, the, at your stalls and you're meeting, you're meeting other vegans, first of all, you're all like so happy. You're like, yay, vegan, vegan. Really try then to take that opportunity to introduce those vegans to abolition. You're not online. They're not surrounded by some big group. You're not on some welfareist page where you're just going to be hammered. It's just you and them one-on-one. -on -one. And the situation can be quite good. Now, this, you know, it can be interesting because some of them will be supporters of welfareist groups and will really struggle but and and you'll be the only vegan they've ever heard talk about this stuff so they're like well all my friends and all us we're active all the time doing this or doing that so it, yeah, like I said you're working against the tide 
Um, but give it a go and try to introduce them. Say, hey, we're abolitionists. Because they'll be like, oh my God, this is so great. Look at you promoting veganism. Yay. Because, you know, when you're walking down the street as a vegan in our world, you know, you're surrounded by death and decay and murder and corpses, literally corpses, right? Restaurants, bits of flesh here and there, you know, clothing and stuff. You're, you're just, you're just hammered. It's just, it's like walking in a living hell. And then you come across and you see vegan in the street. It's like, I've done it before. It's a little oasis and they come running. It's just like, oh my God, this is so great. And I know what that's like myself. Whenever I see anything vegan, I mean, my heart lifts and I'm like, reprieve, a reprieve, you know? So they're going to come running over to you, the, any other vegans, I mean, well, this is my experience, and they're just going to just be like, yay, hi, I'm vegan, oh my gosh, this is so great, and they'll say, wow, this is so cool that you're doing this, what group do you belong to, what organization do you belong to, how do I get involved, and then you have to sort of break it to them that they're actually going to have to make a real effort, and they're going to have to pull it together, and they can't, you know, there's no group that they can just sort of show up at, <laughs> you know, because the only thing that that's going to be is welfareism and single issue, but apart from all the happiness and then hearing, that's great, yes, have a cupcake, they're vegan, you can trust me, and you don't even have to worry, then really try hard to take that opportunity to introduce them to abolition and say to them you know hey this is this is this this thing that we're doing and this is this theory and we really need you to be a part of it you're vegan right and try to do that because I'm guilty myself of just I'm so it's so nice to meet someone who's vegan in the street but then I have to remind myself they're probably a welfareist in fact it is extremely likely because that's just the way the world is. Um, unfortunately, still, we are really working against this tide of, of welfareism. And it's just really tough. So um, I, I just urge you, if you're going to do a street stall and you meet other vegans, all the sort of congratulatory hugs and kisses is great. But do try to take that opportunity to introduce them to abolition because it's tempting. It's so nice after a whole day of listening to nothing but outright, you know, full-on speciesism of people who are like, well, I like cheese, you know, I just taste good. Or it's too difficult to be vegan because when I go to a restaurant, you know, I have to, um, you know, and this is all reinforced by this lovely movement who is working against us, right? And it can be exhausting, and you know, and so when you meet someone who's like, I'm vegan, you're like, yay, thank God, I'm vegan too, yay. But then you have to say, hang on a minute, this is another opportunity, and I don't want to miss it. So try to do that, you know. Um, the problem with me, one of my problems is because I've had such unpleasant experiences dealing with, or I shouldn't say dealing with, but trying to discuss new welfareism with new welfare supporters and trying to present the argument of abolition and trying to engage and say come on consider this please consider this and then it's gone so badly I mean some of my worst experiences and my most ugliest moments most of them have been sadly with um other vegans who are new welfareists it's so it's worse. My my. It's worse than my experience with genuine non. You know, like non-vegans, because the anti-vegans and the not and the anti-vegan trolls, the ones who are like really horrible, I don't really worry about them because they're just trolls, right? There a lot of them are shills for industry or they're just trolls. But in the street, it's very rare to be trolled in that way. I have been a couple of times. I've talked about that recently. Mostly, believe it or not, non-vegans really do care about animals but they are morally confused. 
as Gary Francione says, with the um, moral schizophrenia. So that is your, anybody who goes out and does abolitionist vegan advocacy can back me up. They know that I'm telling the truth. It is very rewarding and astonishingly, wonderfully, you know, it's just you can feel how effective it is to have these conversations with non-vegans in, in, in person. And um, even online, I've found it not so bad. If you have a genuine person who's just genuine and says, you know, I don't get this. I mean, I love animals, but I mean, I buy free range eggs. I mean, I'm doing this, I'm doing that. And you can really talk to them. And I've the worst experience that I've had is with, with dedicated new welfare as vegans. So when I meet vegans at the stall, I'm thinking, oh, God, please don't, you know, please don't be a diehard safe supporter who's just going to, start going on at me about baby steps and, you know, you're divisive because I just don't know if I can take it, you know. Um, so I'm guilty of not wanting to engage with these other vegans, but I do. I force myself to do it. I say, this is an abolitionist stall. Do you know what that means? Or if anybody mentions SAFE, as soon as I hear that word, SAFE, by the way, in case you don't know, is stands for uh, it's the New Zealand Welf New Welfarist Group. When I say welfarist, I generally mean new welfarist. It's just easier to say welfarist. Um, welfarist organization in the country, and um, they're the one on TV, and the one they're the one with the paid employees, and they've been around for like almost 80 years or something, or 90 years in New Zealand. They originally were strictly about vivisection and it was called save animals from air experimentation so s-a-f-e save animals from experimentation um, and then they changed it to save animals from exploitation so that they could just sort of um, they just decided to branch out into farm animal welfare and and in the single issue campaigns like rodeos and all that stuff that they do so anyway they're a very they are the group you know in New Zealand there are other groups who are coming up sort of sort of like them, like Farm Watch and um, um, I don't know, there's some other smaller groups and whatnot. But anyway, so I do, um, I you know, I, I'm very vocal. I mean, I take a deep breath and if somebody says is wearing a safe t-shirt or they talk about safe, I say, you know, we don't actually agree with safe. We oppose what they do. We actually are critical of them. And then you just have to sort of take it as it comes. And most of the time it's okay. You don't have really, you know, it's never as ugly as it is on the internet. I promise you that. People in person are just not that way, you, you know, so just do it. So when you meet new, you know, vegans at your stall, engage with them about abolition. Some of them might, might look at you and say, oh, well, I've heard of that. And then they might be like, I'm leaving because they just don't want anything to do with it. Sometimes that can happen. Um... Generally, what you'll hear is the same stuff you hear online. We heard it today is, I'm an abolitionist, but, <laughs> uh, and you just have to be patient, and you just have to present your position, just like you do on the internet, only it's less likely to show as bad behavior <laughs> as, as is what we exhibit online, as, as in person is what we exhibit online, so do take that opportunity when you meet vegans, you know, it's really nice to meet other vegans, and it's, and it's a relief after a whole day of hearing, I like cheese, I like cheese, but, um, try to take that opportunity to really say to them, 
this is the abolitionist movement. This is why we're here. The reason there's a stall here that, that says vegan and is all about veganism and isn't like collect money for some cage for ebb campaign is because we are abolitionists. Um, and then you can hopefully get through to them and they'll meet an abolitionist in person and they'll see, like, if they've heard all the boogeyman stories and they've, and they've heard all the nonsense that's said about us and how we just don't do anything and how we just, like, sit in front of our computers and spend all our time pulling down, putting down, you know, real activists and all of the stuff that they say, you know, you can be a living example and, um, and you know they can see you maybe even in action. Like what I love, what what I love, what I love to happen. What I want more than anything when I have new vegans or people who are saying, uh, you know, who are on the fence about it. I love it if they can come by, and see an encounter with a non-vegan being talked to with the abolitionist message and see how it's you know, what it actually looks like, because it's not what they think it looks like, because what they're told that it looks like is that we say, go vegan now, and then if the person says no, then we say, it's all or nothing. <laughs> um, so it's, it is important, so try to do that uh, if you can. That's my advice to anyone um, who's doing this, because you will meet other, I mean, depending on where you live in the world, and depending on where, yeah, you live in your country, you're going to meet other vegans now, because I'm telling you, in New Zealand, the last you know, since I've been back, it's been an exponential increase in the amount of vegans that we meet. Like I told you, I, I've said this before, I've, it was rare to meet a vegan. It was a monumental event for me to meet another vegan in the flesh at the stall. And now it's, it's every day. We meet tons of vegans, and a lot of them are from overseas as well because there are travelers. So there's more travelers who are vegan. So uh, it's, it's really happening. But again, the only thing I would say about that is... You do have to be skeptical because, as we know, anybody is calling themselves vegan now. So are they really vegan? How can you find that out, you know? So it's really important. You can, you can sort of, I don't just say to them, are you really vegan? I mean, because so many people say they're vegan and they're not. So, you know, do you use honey? Do you use this? Do you use that? But you can ask certain questions and you can find out certain truths by just making certain statements or especially talking about abolition because that's when they sort of start to come up with things we're like well you know but it's hard to be vegan in New Zealand so you know and then I'm thinking well when you does that mean that you're not vegan then like are you eating the cheese in the restaurant dishes because you know so you sort of have to fish around so again it's sad but you do have to take even when people say they're vegan you have to take it with a grain of salt um it, it can it can sometimes be they probably not. They might not be vegan. So you, ha it's a good way as as well to learn to sort of tease that out. And then if they're not actually vegan and they're calling themselves vegan, you can have a conversation about that. Um, so for example, if they only eat a vegan diet or a plant diet, but they're not vegan, then you can say to them, please, you know, please know that it's actually not a diet and we're really trying hard to educate people about that. So, you know, because veganism is about not using animals at all and um, if you're using animals for shoes and clothing and, um, and your skincare products and if you, uh, uh, if you um, patronize zoos and things like that, 
um, that you're not a vegan, but can you please say that you eat a vegan diet? Do it, you know, help us out, you know. But what we'd really like is for you to go vegan. So let's talk about that, you know. And so you can, you know, do tease it out. Um, there will be a lot of people who are like, I'm vegan, and then they're actually not, you know, because as we know, there's all these vegans also coming down on us and saying, you're the vegan, please. So like if somebody says to them, I'm vegan, and then they find out that they have honey or something, they'll be like, oh, well, it doesn't matter, you know, shh, shh, doesn't matter, shush, shush. Let's just let, let them call themselves vegan. Let's just, we don't want to make another, you know, we don't want to put them off or we don't want to, and, and what they're not realizing is they're actually hurting veganism even more than, you know, there's just, it's, I mean, I'm hoping I don't have to tell anyone who's listening, but there's nothing worse than that. I mean, how is that a good thing to do? How is that helping veganism if you're compromising it all over the place in the interests of, of what? Of remaining popular, of not, of not, you know, upsetting people? I mean, you can, you can be honest with people. I mean, I very rarely have people freak out on me when I say to them, when I educate them calmly and clearly about the facts and I say, you know, honey is not vegan because it actually comes from animals. You know, animal, mineral, or vegetable. Which one is a bee? They're not a mineral and they're not a vegetable. You know that game when you were a kid, animal, mineral, vegetable, and then you had to think of something and you had to ask, that was your first question? And then, so, yeah, so you can do it. And I have them say, they say, okay, okay, I agree. You know, I hear you, whatever. You can, you know, you can, you can have these difficult conversations with people about their own um, animal use and about their misuse of the word vegan or about their welfareism and it doesn't have to be hugely acrimonious it can be very i mean it is very worthwhile but it doesn't have to be all bad and then you can lighten things up like they'll to relieve the tension they might want to start talking about something else they did maybe they are um uh, maybe they work for, you know, uh, women's rights or something like that. Let them talk about it. Say that that's great. And then you bring it back. But, you know, so it's, it is a give and take. And you do learn a lot about yourself and about other people when you're doing a street store. And you learn about your own triggers and other people's. And you learn to, just like you do in a conversation with anyone, um, if you see somebody who it doesn't seem to be going well and you just can see that expression on their face, you can reword something or you can you know, you can, you know, ask them, I mean, a lot of really good thing to do, which I'm only just learning how to do, is to ask, you know, why do you think that? Why do you say that? Like somebody will say, well, I think that, um, you know, animals don't matter as much as us. And instead of saying, well, they do because this, this, and this, and this, and they do, they do, they do. You can say, why is it that you think that? What is your reason? You know, I'm curious to know where that comes from. And then they talk a little bit more. And then you can address what they've said because they're giving you reasons, and that's a that that I find is a really good. I find that 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 is a good thing to do, and it's um, so you see, yeah. Wh why do you think that is a really really good thing to do, rather than just saying right away that that's not it's not that. I mean, if they're asserting something with reasons, then you can address it right away. If they're saying I don't think that animals matter because it says in the Bible that I can dominate them, then you can address that. But if they if they just say things like, well, you know, it's just not the same, you know, dogs dogs and pigs are just different. Instead of saying no they're not, no they're not, you can say, "Why do you think that?" And they will have to think about it. And they actually don't really know why they think that. It's like, "Well, because um, well, and the answer is, they were taught that their whole life, since they were a child, you know, so, um, 
and then you can relate it back to all other sort of belief systems, you know, and it's a learned behavior. As somebody said to us today, it's all a learned behavior, and they're absolutely right. So, and I, I just cannot urge people enough to read Gary Francione's books and learn the abolitionist theory, all of it, about single-issue campaigns, about the difference, about how to address vivisection questions. The burning house scenario is a really important scenario to learn. The burning house scenario, I call it that because it's from the video, which is a slideshow, which is my favorite of all the animal rights videos I've ever seen in my life. And it does have some horrible images in it, um, but they're not, um, I can't explain it. They're just, it's such a brilliant, brilliant video. And it's based on the introduction to animal rights, your child or the dog. And it's called Theory of Animal Rights. And it's by Gary Francione. And it was done years ago. Um, and it's on the website and it's on YouTube and I'll link to it because it's like the first video I linked to it on my NZ Vegan podcast. It's like the top of my video list. Um, and the burning house scenario is, um, I'll actually read it to you because it's actually, um, and I'm sorry if this is making a really loud noise when I click on the keyboard because I don't have my headphone um, mic in. So I'm typing and then the microphone's going to pick up the little thumping noises. But I guess that's better than the clicking noises that my that the other one used to pick up when my jaw would move. But anyway, um, so I'm just going to read it from the animal rights, um, the theory of animal rights. It is just the most brilliant, um, and it and it uses this amazing picture. But the, this is the burning house scenario, which is so useful because I'm t you're going to have these questions over and over and over. I mean, read, eat like you care. I mean, definitely, definitely. That's all about food, though. This is more like this one here that I'm going to tell you is just about in general. So the burning house scenario is, for example, I was asked on my Facebook page, um, about killing ants. So like if we're if we're living in homes and the only way that we can create those homes, even if we do it ecologically speaking, is that ants who live in the soil by the billion, we are probably going to cause the harm to ants because we're going to be in their soil and the, some of them are going to get hurt. So why is that different? I mean, how does that, how is, you know, if I was going to kill a human when I built a house, I wouldn't do it. So therefore ants don't have as much right as people and that's just the way it is. Um, first of all, I'd argue this whole thing about insects. But well, here's another thought, because the insects one is, is, is I've, I've, I've written a comment on it about my Facebook page, but here's another one. Let's say, I think they asked me, this is a question I've had many, many times, and you have it at the stall often. Let's say there's, um, there's this plant that, um, uh, that the only, you know, if, if this, or there's an animal product that is only the only way you're going to save your baby's life is to somehow an animal's going to be harmed. Like you need to save your baby's life, and an animal's going to be harmed. You know what would you do? And the answer is that's irrelevant. That has completely got nothing to do with what we're talking about here. Um, because um, here's the thought experiment. So I'm reading this now from the slideshow. I highly recommend watching the slideshow. So here we go. Consider a thought experiment. Imagine you walk past a house that is on fire. You can see that there is a human and a dog in the house. Sorry, I'm waiting for the pictures to go. You have time to save one, but not both. Which one do you save? Uh, um... Sorry, the slideshow is just... You have time to save one, but not both. Which one do you save? 
Let's assume that you decide that you ought to save the human. What would that tell you about whether it is acceptable to exploit animals? The answer? Nothing. I assume that you are walking by the burning house and you see that there are two humans in the house, a young person and a very old person. You decide to save the young person because she has more of her life ahead of her. Does that mean that it is okay to use the elderly as unconsenting subjects in biomedical experiments or as forced organ donors? Of course not. So even if we would choose the human over the non-human in a situation of true conflict or emergency, that says nothing about whether it is acceptable to treat other animals as our resources. So that is a really, really important good thing to learn because you can be thrown by these questions. So like if you're talking to someone about veganism and they say, it's the desert island, you know, scenario. And a lot of people say, well, you know, the desert island scenario, well, they say, well, you know, but we live in a world in which we have supermarkets and all this stuff, so we're not on a desert island. But my, but my argument, I prefer the burning house one. You know, like even if in a desert island you would kill an animal if you were dying of hunger, what does that tell you about um, whether or not we have the right to exploit animals as as slaves? You know, absolutely nothing. That's not a conflict there. And I guess the, the supermarket explanation does cover that because it says, you know, you, you can just go and buy fruits and vegetables. There's no conflict. So that's a really good one. So whenever you, whenever anybody tries to pull the trick on you, well, what about medicine? What if you were dying of diabetes and you had to use insulin that was made out of animals? You know, if, uh, you know, and then, and they want, they want to hear you admit that you would use, you would hurt another animal to save your own life. And the answer is, even if that's true, and it's not, might not necessarily be true in every case, but even if that's true, what does that have to do with anything? That doesn't have to do with anything, because we're here talking to you about veganism, which means at the very least that you do your utmost best to avoid all animal exploitation that you can avoid. Veganism doesn't say, when you're talking about veganism, therefore you must commit collective suicide because existence is harmful, you know. So the burning house scenario I find really, really useful. The slideshow goes on to say, uh, we create most of our conflicts with non-humans. We bring domestic animals into existence for our use. We drag the non-humans into the burning house and we then wonder about how to resolve the conflict that we have created. Um, so that's, um, yeah, that's part of the, of the abolitionist approach theory slideshow. Without that theory and without a lot of this really deep exploration and these, these you know, a lot of the really work that Gary Francione has done explaining about single issue campaigns and all of these things, I would have been really stuck at my stall because I didn't think of this stuff and I was stuck in a speciesist mindset and the only thing that snapped me out of the speciesist mindset was the theory of animal rights by Gary Francione because all of the rest of it is total and utter speciesism. Um, so I really, if you're going to go out and do a stall, you have to, you've got to educate yourself and most people are just reading Eat Like You Care and that's a fantastic book and you can transfer a lot of those arguments to other animal use 
you know, so you can use those same arguments when people ask you about clothing or entertainment, you know, even when you're talking about, like somebody came to me today and said, what about the, what about the, the tallow and the money? Because apparently there's this huge, massive outcry because they've discovered that in Britain, the five pound note has tallow in it. Well, I was informed today that all New Zealand money has tallow in it as well. I haven't verified that. That upsets me very much. And it just makes me even more frustrated and angry. Um, um, but um, they said, what do you think about that? This was a non-vegan saying, what are your thoughts on that? And, um, you know, I said, well, in a world in which we think nothing of going down to the supermarket and buying the cheese made out of milk from slaughtered babies because it tastes good, you know, it doesn't surprise me that there's tallow in, um, in money. Um, there's animal products and more things that you can never even imagine. And I'm sure you don't know about them because they haven't made the paper because they can't do a campaign around it or whatever. Um, he also said to me, this person informed me that the reason that they use tallow, and I haven't verified this, is I just heard this from this guy, it could be true, is that because the, the dogs who sniff out money in airports, um, apparently they, you know, when you sniff out, you know, it's, they're trying to catch drug runners by seeing if they're carrying in tens or hundreds of thousands of dollars, then it's suspect, you're not allowed to carry that much money in cash through an airport, and the dogs can smell the tallow. You know, so that's why they do it. And I haven't verified this, but even if that's true, I'm opposed to using dogs. <laughs> so I'm sorry, but if that's just another animal use that you're talking about there. But you get these questions. So you're trying to talk to this person about their own animal use, and they want to hear your opinion on the tallow in the five-pound note because it's all over the news. And you say, yeah, I think it's atrocious, and I wish there wasn't any animal animal use at all. And I would now I'm going to find out whether there's animal use in the notes that I have, and I'm going to try to use coins and try to use electronic money even more and, you know, all this stuff. But the bottom line is... Um, we need people to go vegan because the reason there's tallow in banknotes is because there's so much byproducts of animal agriculture and they just make, keep making money off it and um, it's just so readily available and nobody is going to care if the business can use tallow and if it's always been used and if it's readily available and if it's the cheapest option they have and then why are we going to expect them to, to change it when these are the people who go home every night and eat corpses uh, slaughter babies and have you know trinkets and stuff made out of their skin. I mean, think about it. We have to turn people onto the idea that non-humans matter morally, all of them across the board, completely and utterly, and that we cannot use them at all, all of them for anything. And that's veganism. So, it, but you will, you'll find all kinds of, and then the thing about it is, is because of the welfareist dominated world we live in, people will come to you and say, oh, what do you think about this expose? and all this kind of stuff. And you just have to bring it back to veganism, to their own animal use. Say to them, what do you think about it? Oh, I thought it was terrible. Oh, well, why? You know, are you vegan? Well, no, I'm not, I'm not vegan, but I cut down, or I don't hardly ever eat meat. I only eat meat every now and then. You know, and then you just engage with them on that level. Just engage with the person on the level that they come to you with. But it is, it's a very interesting thing to do, and it's my favorite activism to do. Um, we need more people doing it. I saw some incredible comment made by one of my abolitionist friends. She Apparently someone had said to her, or maybe it was written somewhere, the abolitionist approach only exists on a couple of street corners and a Facebook page. And the answer is that even if that's true, why is that? Are you out there doing advocacy? No. So don't, you know, if you're being derogatory about it, the re you know it's we we are the radicals 
We are against the status quo. We are rocking the boat because it has to be rocked. And we need radical animal rights. And radical animal rights is veganism and the abolitionist approach. They don't think it's radical because we're not screaming at people or painting blood all over ourselves or doing massive big you know, shows and chanting and getting on TV or getting on the front page of the paper with some escapade. So they, don't, they think that that's radical when it's actually just completely status quo. Um, so, you know, if you want, if you want to see change, you have to, you have to do it. And you, sh you know, if you're mocking it and saying, well, hardly anybody's doing it. Well, um, if your if your justification for that is, well, it mustn't be any good, then, you know, that's a real shame because if you look around at the world we live in and you look at the fact that Chris Hedges' Facebook page has 56,000 followers and, you know, the Kardashians has, you know, 50 million, and then you're going to tell yourself that you're just, you know, that whichever one is the most popular is the right thing to do. Is that really what you believe? Or do you believe that generally radical thinking is resisted by the status quo? It has tried to be, you know, covered up. I mean, look at it for what it is. Forget how many other people like it or don't like it. You know, don't be the person looking at the three lines on the screen and worrying that all these other people in the room are saying the first line's the same length, the first line's the same length, when your eyes and your intellect are clearly telling you that it's the third line that's the same length, you know? So you got to break away from this indoctrination and you're going to be indoctrinated with welfareism and you're going to meet vegans who are indoctrinated with it and we're all indoctrinated with it and welfareism is synonymous with speciesism. So as an educator, the first thing you have to do is educate yourself. It is a m imperative that you do that. So you actually have to read. <laughs> I'm afraid you actually do. Okay? That's why people, that's why there's still universities. Even if you're talking about online stuff, there's still a lot of reading involved in education. All right? Now, there is videos. Gary Francione has been putting out videos lately on his Facebook page, which are fantastic. Um, so, and there's audios, there's the debates, there's the podcasts, and that's all fantastic. That's great. But I just find that reading the books is this really sort of profound way of uh, of absorbing the information if you can read. I know not everybody can. There are people who are dyslexic or who struggle or who have literacy problems due to social circumstances. I understand that. I think audiobooks would be fabulous. I'd love to see the abolitionist approach books made into audiobooks. It's a big project. But at the very least, listen or watch videos, but watch the abolitionists who do it. Watch Gary Francione do it. Don't go on some new welfareist page and believe what they say. When we talk about new welfareists, we often link, like I will happily link people directly to the new welfareist source, you know. I don't want to, I don't need to keep them away from it because I'm not, I'm not distorting it. It's real. It's right there in black and white. So I go to the source. When I am, um, when I am um, sort of combating welfareism and, and speaking out against it, I'm going to the source of it, you know, to the pages, to the campaigns, and I'm addressing what they're doing in their own words. So at the very least, if you're going to try to, or if people are going to try to argue against abolition, argue against it, the, what, you, what we say. Because what they do is they come around and they say, well, you know, 
it's all or nothing and you don't even want people to go vegan or you don't even want animals to feel better today because then your then your idealism you want them to suffer more and all this or you you know you you know you have you don't people don't go vegan overnight and we're like yeah we we know that we actually say that have you actually read anything that we've said or are you only listening to what things you know the distortions that other people are saying about what we've said so at the very least you know people need to give it a go but anyway i'm probably as they say preaching to the choir so yeah so that's i guess i hope you learned something about that so definitely just when you meet vegans at the stall um do try to take the opportunity to educate them about abolition do your best um just consider it as part of your street stall advocacy because it's it's a very rare person you're going to meet who's an abolitionist. We did meet a couple. We have met a couple, which is so nice. Um, but it's very rare, <laughs> unfortunately still, in the grand scheme of things. Okay? So anyway, I hope you all get out there and do street stalls. Um, I think it's a fantastic way to advocate for veganism in your community. It's grassroots level. It's going back to the old school when we really used to have a lot of social justice movements um, happening in the world. Um, which we don't see as much of, or oh, maybe we do, I don't know. All right, um, that's the end of my podcast, and I will try to be back um, soon. But um, keep up the good work, everybody, and um, look after yourself, and, you know, Merry Christmas or whatever if you celebrate that, or Happy Hanukkah, or whatever it is that you do, um, or Festivus you know, the, the celebration for the rest of us and all that stuff. Have a good uh, summer or winter or whatever your December is. I'll be back.